Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 373 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asked you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. There's always a week. It's almost inaugural at this point. And it's, and it's in every single sport. But there's always a week where... If you look at the college ranks, a bunch of top-ranked teams lose. If you look at the NFL, a bunch of teams that shouldn't lose ultimately lose. That's kind of where you get the saying, any given Sunday or any given Saturday. Because every single year, there's always a week like that where multiple top-ranked teams or multiple top-ranked NFL teams ultimately lose. Week six was the week for that in the NFL. And we had a a couple of losses that obviously shouldn't have happened. We had the Eagles lose to the Jets. We had the 49ers lose to the Browns. And we're going to talk about it. But the one that to me is a little more concerning than the rest, obviously, is the Eagles losing to the Jets. And I'm not saying concerning me. I, I don't think that the Eagles are going to fall off a cliff. I don't think the Eagles have fallen off a cliff. I think that it was just one game. I'm not saying the Eagles are are, are trash. No, I'm. Just, it's it's just one game. But this one game is a microcosm of issues that I think I've or issues that I've had with this Eagles team this year. Let's let's not get it confused here, man. I am a I was I've been on this podcast several times saying how I was wrong about Jalen Hurts and how Jalen Hurts has obviously exceeded my expectations as a starting quarterback. But what I've seen this year is slightly a regression of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has not looked anything like he's looked last year. Now, a lot of people want to attribute that to the or not having the, you know, having a new offensive coordinator. And I know that it's very hard to say, well, the, the Eagles don't look that good and they're five and one, but they haven't. And they haven't looked good on either side of the ball consistently. Again, and and another thing, obviously, is they do have a much harder schedule this year than they did last year. So I'm not going to sit out here and say that the season's over. I'm not going to come out here and say that, you know, Jalen Hurts is – I'm not going to say that. But what I will say is when you look – it just seems like there is a disconnect. They're trying to. Lashawn uh, McCoy says something on uh, Undisputed, not Undisputed, uh, The Herd, Colin, Colin Cowherd Show. Which, if you listen to it, it sounds dumb. And I'm not calling Lashawn McCoy dumb. Don't hear me say that. But if you if you listen to the quote, it sounds dumb. But it makes perfect sense. The Philadelphia Eagles is a team that knows their identity, but still trying to find it. Now, if you think it to yourself, what the hell are you talking about? How do you know your identity but still trying to find it? I'll say it like this. 
The Eagles know what their strengths are. The Eagles know what their weaknesses are. They know what got them to a Super Bowl a year ago. Smash mouth defense, smash mouth running the ball. Jalen Hurts, have, I'm not going to call him a game manager, but Jalen Hurts being great both on the ground and through the air. You have A.J. Brown. You have Devontae Smith. You have Dallas Goddard. Now you have DeAndre Swift. This team is built to be aggressive on the ground. And this team, as we know, I mean, they're 5-1 and one at this point. This team can beat you on several, like, beat you just being more physical than you. But as we look and we see losses like what we saw on Sunday losing to the Jets, it feels like this team is trying to get to what it did last year is just not it's it's not working to to the consistent level that it needs to and don't get me wrong again i'm not saying that this eagles team is trash i'm not saying this eagles team isn't good but what i'm saying is even in those five wins that they have they haven't looked dominant they haven't looked like the dominant eagles that we saw last year now again I also understand, and I even said this coming into the season, the Eagles have the hardest schedule in football. The issue that I do have, though, is, and I, and it's not even an issue as much as it is a observation, is the Eagles, if you look at the Eagles schedule, it is about to rev up to the point where you're about to go through a gauntlet. So it is good that the, you know you're going into it five and one. You're, the easiest part of the Eagle schedule was the beginning, and now that it's over, you know now you're gonna see what the Eagles. You got the Commanders coming up. You have the Bills. You have the, the Chiefs. Like it's you're about to see some teams. So I, I I'm not going to cast judgment yet until we see what they look like after this gauntlet of teams but i it just feels like this eagles team isn't exactly on the same page or isn't on the same trajectory as it was a year ago when we talk about some of the top teams in the nfc the eagles are are usually the ones forgotten we talk about you know the 49ers we talk about other teams but the Eagles are one of those teams that obviously deserve to be talked about, but they really don't. I think it's just because they haven't been they haven't been as dominant as they as they were at least a year ago. And again, the last thing I'm gonna say on this Eagles team is I'm not throwing them away. And I'm not saying they're trash. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm also not saying that they aren't one of the best teams in the NFL. But what I am saying is they have not played like it. And I would think, especially seeing that the 49ers lost, and this is your opportunity to take the sole possession of the number one seed or number one spot in the NFC, I would think that you going against a Justin, or no, a Zach Wilson-led team, that would give you a little bit more motivation, and obviously it didn't. So, and on the Jets' side...
this was a huge win for the Jets. Sauce Gardner didn't play. You're missing, uh, uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers. You're missing a couple of other defensive players, key defensive players. And you find a way to win. This, this to me is, this is a great win for the Jets now that them being three and three. But this is also like one of those gut wrenching wins. And what I mean by gut wrenching wins is. You can see glimpses of how good this team is supposed to be. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talk about the light of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel for New York fans. And we talk about the Giants and we talk about the Jets and how the Jets probably have more hope right now, seeing as though they know that at least next year Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be coming. When I say gut-wrenching win, it has to be tough. When you look at a win like this and you see the potential that could be, this is a Super Bowl-caliber defense. And and this is without Sauce Gardner, who won Defensive Rookie of the Year last year. This is a Super Bowl-caliber defense with Quentin Williams and C.J. Mosley it's just the offense can't match because of Zach Wilson. Now, I'm not going to crap on Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson played a pretty good game. Brees Hall played a good game. Dalvin Cook played a good game. This offense played a good game. And the only issue, obviously, was scoring. <laughs> I know they won 20-14, to 14, but most of the, the points came from mostly field goals. So, it just sucks because you see the potential, you know. And I'm not trying to crap on this win at all. I'm giving all the credit in the world to the Jets. They played a smash mouth game and they played, they never quit. They never, they never welted under the pressure and they won. But it's just, it just sucks because you see what could, what could be. This team obviously is a Super Bowl caliber team. If they had the quarterback, which they did have for four snaps, unfortunately. But congratulations to the Jets for beating the four or beating the Eagles twenty to fourteen. Let's move over to the other game that obviously was uh, one of those games. We've been talking about how great Brock Purdy has been this season. And I even came out last episode and said that Brock Purdy, maybe episode after last, I don't know. Brock Purdy is a top 10 quarterback in this league. Now, I didn't think I was going to get as much flack as as much as I did. But... Up until up until Sunday, Brock Purdy hasn't given me a reason to think that he did not deserve to be at least in the top 10 conversation. Brock Purdy well plays well beyond his his draft position being the last pick of the draft. And it it, it was just 
I just didn't think. We haven't seen Brock Purdy struggle. The one time we saw Brock Purdy struggle as far as to struggle at his position was in the in the NFC Championship last year where he tore his or yeah, tore his, his his shoulder and he couldn't throw. Sunday we saw I think the this was the first time where I saw Brock Purdy not look great majority of the game. Now Yes, you did lose Debo Samuels. Yes, you did lose Christian McCaffrey. And I hear a lot of people saying that, oh, Christian McCaffrey and DJ Samuels, they, he, they, you know, they make Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy needs them. Let me tell you something. I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of – I don't care what quarterback. Think about it. You take – Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon away from Joe Burrow. I'm not saying that he falls off the cliff, but he plays much worse. You take Travis Kelsey and Isaiah Pacheco away from Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he falls off the cliff, but he plays much worse. You take you take AJ Brown and DeAndre Swift away from Jalen Hurts, he plays much worse. What I'm saying is, we're not talking about two bums here. (laughs) We're not talking about two role players. We're talking about arguably the best running back in the league, and we're talking about a top-tier wide receiver. So, of course, your quarterback is going to play worse when you lose that much firepower on one side of the ball. And on top of that, you're playing against a defense that is – very much a Super Bowl caliber defense with Miles Garrett and and Zadarius Smith like that that the the Cleveland Browns defense is a Super Bowl caliber defense kind of like the kind of like the Jets their offense just hasn't caught up yet but Brock Purdy did not look great majority of the game and even with that they had a chance to win the game it's just their kicker missed the kick so I, I, I'm I'm not gonna kill Brock Purdy. He didn't look great. He looked. This was probably the first game. He just looked lost a lot of times, and the throws weren't accurate, and he was. It just didn't look good, and it felt like he kind of succumbed to the pressure at times, succumbed to Cleveland's pressure. But again, at the end of the day, they had a chance to win. It's just their kicker missed a field goal. And I think it was like a 41-yard field goal or something. I'm just saying, this was the first time I've seen Brock Purdy look bad. And and it not be because of injury. And this is also the first time that Brock Purdy was without two very key weapons. Majority of the game. Now... Again, I'm not – yes, there's no more unbeatens. Yes, the the Eagles lost. Yes, the 49ers lost. I'm not going to just throw them off the cliff. I'm not going to say, oh, they're not championship or, you know, championship caliber teams. I'm not going to say that. But like I did say, this is one of those weeks where everybody – or this is one of those unexplained weeks where 
everyone loses. Well, not everyone, but top teams are that are supposed to win lose. Mind you, I think PJ PJ Walker played. Deshaun Watson didn't even play. That's another thing we'll talk about. But Deshaun Watson didn't even play. PJ Walker played. You lose to a backup quarterback. And that's another thing. Let's 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 stay on that for a second. When the Cleveland Browns gave Deshaun Watson that record-breaking deal, record-breaking contract, there was an expectation that Deshaun Watson was going to lead them to heights that they have not seen before, and that's obviously, or they haven't seen in a long time, and that's obviously a Super Bowl. But riddled and and sprinkled in that in that obvious contract talks was incentives and incentives not just for Deshaun Watson but incentives for the team and what that means is if Deshaun Watson doesn't hit marks that the team feels he should hit or doesn't play enough games, the contract then gets voided. And all that guaranteed money, I don't know how much would be guaranteed to him, but it wouldn't be all of it. And one thing that we know about sports is sports is a business. There's, We're talking about two different businesses at this point. We're talking about the, the NFL, and we're talking about the, the brand of Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, they're saying that he's unable to throw because he has some type of rotator cup issue or deep tissue rotator cup issue. This is week two that he's unable to throw or unable to play. And as we do know with the NFL is they're always looking for their replacement. They're, you're all a team is always looking for your replacement. I don't really have a direction that I'm going with this, obviously, but what I am saying is I'm not saying PJ Walker is obviously going to replace Deshaun Watson. But what I am saying is I do think it was ironic that the week Deshaun Watson is unable to play. They come out and say, "Ayo, there's a, there's a clause in his contract saying we don't got to pay cuz. That is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, congratulations to the Browns for being the 49ers, uh, 19 to 17. Again, the, the Browns are are the the Browns are a good team. It's just they're off. You know, it's 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 all on the quarterback." And it's, it's all on this offense because the defense, we know how good this defense is. We know how good this defense can be, especially with the names that they have. You know, 
And we know how good the 49ers are. I'm not going to say that it's over. I do need to see what's happening with uh, DJ, you know, DJ, not DJ Mark. I need to see what's happening with Debo Samuels and, and Christian McCaffrey because if they're not 100%, that does change this 49ers team a lot. So, But we'll see. Let's move forward to what we saw on Monday Night Football. Now, I'm not coming here to... I'll give credit where credit is due. Let me start by saying that. Shouts out to the Dallas Cowboys for beating the 49... Or beating the Los Angeles Chargers 20-17. to Let's start with the positives. Dak Prescott played better. Dak Prescott looked much better than he did just a a week ago. (laughs) And Dallas' defense came to play. Dallas' defense pretty much shut down the Chargers in big moments. They didn't get – they got one sack on Justin Herbert, and that was the key sack in the fourth quarter that forced a – what three and ten or four and ten or something like that that was that was it and i think it was a three and ten yeah it was a second and two or something and they forced an eight yard sack or something like that but the one sack that they got was at the tour was at the end of the game which then obviously the next play justin herbert throws a interception to stefan gilmore game over so the defense came up big and it it played like it was a number 1 or a top tier caliber defense like we like we've said it has been and that has been the calling card for the for the Dallas Cowboys this entire year the defense gets stops the defense gets turnovers the defense prevent you know holds teams to low scores and gets turnovers and gets pick sixes and gets uh, four fumbles that ultimately put the Dallas Cowboys offense in great positions. Um, Dak Prescott, again, he played very well. He had, there were, there were times where he overthrew and missed a couple of passes, but you know, he, he didn't turn the ball over. I don't believe. And it just looked good. He he looked good, even though um, C.D. Lamb looked. I think seven catches for 117 yards. I'm hooked up on the fact that it was seven catches, but he still had 117 yards and he looked great, especially after the conversation this week talking about is C.D. Lamb a number one receiver or not. Well, he looked good. So, shouts out to that. But that's kind of where the where the positives stop. You see, you can look at the stats, you can look at the the numbers. You can see the fact that Dallas won as a positive and they are and there there are positives there, obviously. But nothing about this game 
changed how I felt or how I feel about the Dallas. In fact, a lot of a lot about the a lot of this game, um, I didn't like from both teams. Now I will I will hone in on the Chargers in a second, but let me let me just get the Cowboys out the way. The questions and the concerns and the issues that I've had with this Dallas Cowboys team are the same issues that reared its head this game. Dallas struggles offensively in the red zone. Well, they struggled in the red zone again. Well, yes, they did score. They did struggle when they get in the red zone. They Dak Prescott misses a lot of pa- or a lot of passes. While he did complete a lot and he did ultimately win, he overthrew a couple passes. No one and spe- and like specifically was towards the, actually at the end of the game where he could have sealed the deal for sure. And Tony Pollard was wide open and he overthrew him to and wide open for a touchdown. Overthrew him. And when you have pieces like a Tony Pollard, like a C.D. Lamb, like a Brandon Cooks, I would expect more out of this offense. This offense is predicated on how good the defense plays. It's not really a balance there. If the defense plays pretty bad, this offense, in my opinion, has not shown the ability to carry the load this season, at least. And that's kind of what we saw on on Monday. I'm not crapping on the Dallas Cowboys. And trust me, the the vitriol and the venom that the Chargers deserve to have, they will get in a second. But not, no, there there has there's not a concern. The only thing that I've changed my mind about is CeeDee Lamb, in my opinion, is good enough to be a number one receiver. It's just they don't use the Dallas Cowboys don't use him as a number one receiver. Again, having 117 yards is great, but not I don't know a number one receiver. A a number one receiver with a good quarterback finishing a game with seven seven catches, seven targets. Let me say that, seven targets. I don't I don't know a one. Now, you can say, "Well, what about DeVonte Adams and Jimmy G?" Well, Jimmy G's not that good. So, I just a lot of the concerns and a lot of the issues that I've had with Dallas wasn't I will say this actually. One issue, one thing that you uh, you have to have to figure out is we talk about measuring stick games and they obviously lost against the 49ers look terrible. This was another measuring stick game. This was a very important game for both teams and Dallas played much better than the Chargers, and they ultimately won, but they stepped up to the plate. So I will say that. I will give them credit in saying that the Dallas Cowboys knew this was a very important game. You have Kellen Moore, who you let go. He's coming back with another team, obviously. You, you, this is a statement game. You did look – you and you got embarrassed against the 49ers – I think it was on Sunday Night Football. It's it's imperative that you look good 
against this Chargers team, and you ultimately did, and you ultimately won. So I will give them credit with that. But all the other concerns, I, I still have. And congratulations to the Dallas Cowboys for beating the Chargers 20-17. to Now we get to the Chargers. The Chargers sit here today at 2-3, and three, below 500. You have a top-tier wide receiver in Keenan Allen. You have a top-tier running back in Austin Eckler. You have top-tier names on the defense. Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Derwin James. I've said this multiple times, but what we've seen this year makes it rain even more supreme. That the L.A. Chargers is the definition of a on-paper team. You realize I didn't say anything about Justin Herbert. I have a lot of people. I did a, I did a real short, whatever you want to call it, about the Chargers. And a lot of people are killing me. Because I said that Justin Herbert has not uh, has not done anything in this league. With the talent that he has, he has not done anything in this league. And people are killing me. Well, Jay, Justin Herbert continues to rack up all these yards. He continues to rack up comeback wins. He is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. Uh, hey, Jay, you know, the offensive line is not that good, and you see what he he's able to work with. You see he's able to do anything, and I don't understand how you can say he doesn't do anything or he hasn't done anything in this league when he continues to rack up regular season wins. Uh, Jalen, I, I just don't see how you can say that Justin Herbert hasn't done anything. This is all clearly Brandon Staley's fault. What I will say is this, Brandon Staley, this is, Brandon Staley has proven that he is not the best coach. I'm not going to say a good coach. I'm not going to disrespect him like that. He's not the best coach. He continues to put his team in tough situations. Clock management is horrible. Just he, I believe he leans too much on analytics and not literally what he's looking at. Some of the play calling is like, why are you, why are you at the, why are you within the ten yard line, and you do two runouts? Like, what sense does that make? So, we know. 
about Brandon Staley. We know that Brandon Staley is definitely a hindrance to this L.A. Chargers team. There's a lot of issues with this team. Brandon Staley being one of them, their defense being god-awful. Now, you can blame that on injury and people coming back, but the defense has been terrible. We're going to talk about the college ranks in a second or a little later in the show and we're going to talk about Oregon and uh Oregon and Washington and I'm going to talk about how Dan Lanning was the main reason why they lost this game and but I understand his thinking I kind of I understand Brandon Brandon Staley's thinking when he does some of the things that he does but you have to understand there's always a there's always a positive and a negative to every situation. There's always a cause and effect. And what it seems like is Brandon Staley never really thinks that his team can do that be on the negative side of the of his causes. But more times than not, it doesn't work out. I've been calling and and pretty much Chargers Nation has been calling for Brandon Staley's job for a while now. I don't think that this game ultimately is the nail on the coffin, but this was a big game for both teams. You you have one of the top top tier NFC teams coming into your house. You want and you have an opportunity obviously to go to 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 go above three to go above five hundred, you you this is a game to show up. And the Chargers especially defensively didn't. Now let me get to Justin Herbert. You know, I like Justin Herbert. He went to University of Oregon, that's my school. That's not, let me ooh, let me backtrack. I didn't go to University of Oregon. I like their football team because of their jerseys. But I watched Justin Herbert a lot in Oregon, and I, I like Justin Herbert. I like Justin Herbert because he has the talent to be a top tier quarterback. I've said this on numerous occasions. He has the talent to be in that upper echelon of quarterbacks. There, when you look at talent, I don't see much of a gap. Talent wise, I don't and potential. Let me say that talent and potential. I don't see much of a gap between Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. I see there is a gap, but not much of one. But you get to games like Monday. Games like Monday is why it's almost blasphemous to put. Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert in the same sentence. It's almost blasphemous to say that Justin Herbert, you know what it is at one, at some point we have to stop talking about Justin Herbert and his potential. We have to stop talking about Justin Herbert as a top tier quarterback because of just his talent alone. The talent has to, has to, uh, the talent has to show somewhere. It has to show in the wins and loss column. Justin Herbert threw a game-ending interception on Monday. 
you can say, well, Jalen, he 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 had a broken finger on his non-throwing hand. That didn't stop. I mean, Keenan Allen had a good game. He had a good game if you look at the numbers. But outside of the first drive, he didn't score again until the what the fourth quarter. They didn't score again until the third quarter. And it was a field goal. They didn't score a touchdown again until the fourth quarter. Where's all that talent? What is all that talent doing? Where is all what? Is, what does all that talent have to show? Like what? What is the stat that shows me how talented Justin Herbert is? All these passing yards, all these, all these touchdowns. Where's the wins and losses? We we and I'm not saying yes. Justin Herbert is obviously better than uh, Russell Wilson right now, but we kill Russell Wilson because we said that Russell Wilson, at least this year, hasn't been the problem, but he also hasn't been the solution. The same exact thing can be said for Justin Herbert right now. Justin Herbert has has been he has been nowhere close to the problem for this Chargers team, but he hasn't been the solution either. Every single time they've went up against a top-tier team, they've lost this year. They lost to the Dolphins. They lost to the Cowboys. And the Cowboys are without Trayvon Diggs. Let's, let's not forget that. At some point, we have to be honest about what we're seeing. And what we're seeing is an incredible, exceptional quarterback that has nothing to his name but a bunch of passing yards. And a roster that is that is a top-tier roster. Well, no, they haven't played like it. It's still a top-tier roster that is now sitting at two and three. But hey... If you talk to anyone in my comments, Justin Herbert is the greatest quarterback ever. Justin Herbert is, is the third best quarterback. I've heard that. So the third best quarterback in the league. Okay. Talent-wise, maybe. But at some point, we have to talk more about what's being put on the field, what's being put on the tape instead of potential. She can be the greatest woman ever. She can be, she can have the potential to be the greatest wife ever. If she, if she wants to argue all the time and can't cook, what are we talking about? If she doesn't make your life easier, but she has the potential to do something, what are we talking about? Justin Herbert has the potential to be a great quarterback. He has the skill set to be a great quarterback. It has not produced wins. At some point, we can't keep talking about potential. That's all I'm saying. Let's move forward. Speaking of potential, Jesus, what talk, talk about the transit transitions. The game on Sunday is one of the biggest reasons why I, I, I hesitate to call the Buffalo Bills a Super Bowl caliber team. 
Now you can look at it and say they beat the Giants fourteen to nine. And obviously at the end of the day, you gotta win. But let's not get it twisted here. There's the reason why I predicted that the the Bills were gonna kill the Giants was because of a couple things. Going into it, the Giants were arguably one of the worst teams in football. While they have big names on the defensive side of the ball, their defense has been horrible. They're one in they they're they're going in, they were one and four. They have not been good. And you're coming off Josh Allen playing well against, you know, or or Josh Allen playing well. You have Stephon Diggs playing well. They beat the the Dolphins. I thought this would be the game that the Giants just just guys. Not to mention Daniel Jones didn't play. Tyrod Taylor was playing, who, for people that don't know, is a former Buffalo Bill. I just thought this was the game. This was the game that the Bills were going to steamroll the. Giants. But what happened in this game? The Bills didn't play well at all. The Giants, Tyrod Taylor, neither one of these teams played well. And this game showed the single worst. Single, I think the single worst. Clock management I have ever seen in my life. When we talk about the New York Giants. I think the end of. Before the end of the second or the first half. Was probably the worst example of clock management I have seen. In my 29 years of life. From a NFL football team. You know what's funny, too? If it wasn't for poor officiating towards the end of the game, uh, the Giants would have won this game. If they, I know it's very tough to call a pass interference twice in a row on the same person. For to end the game, but the last play of the game was definitely a pass interference. Man was yanking his jersey down. It was pass interference. Now Tyrod Taylor could have thrown a better ball, but it was a pass interference. But this is why, again, I have a tough time calling the Buffalo Bills a championship caliber team. It's because they have duds like this. Now, yes, they ultimately won, but if they played a much better team, they would have lost. They made this Giants team look like, or at least this Giants defense, look like the the, the, the best defense ever. Yeah. They won, though, so I will give them that. So, shouts out to the Bills for beating the Giants 14-9. 
There was a conversation. I, I was on first take, I believe. Um, talking about who is the most skilled non-quarterback or who is the most important non-quarterback in the league. And you heard that 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 question obviously is subjective, but there's a lot of great important pieces to a team that's not a quarterback. Like even though they clown Dan Orlowski, Jason Kelsey is integral to the success of this Philadelphia Eagles team, especially if Lane Johnson is going to miss some time. Travis Kelsey is in te- incredibly important to the Kansas City Chiefs and their ability to operate, especially when they're trying to figure out who's going to be their number one receiver. You can say someone like Derrick Henry. We'll talk about the Ravens and Titans game in a second, but Derrick Henry, if there was no Derrick Henry, that that Titans team might be Damn near as bad as the... They might not have a win. You can talk about Aaron Donald or uh, Michael Parsons. TJ Watt. TJ Watt is so integral for for the Steelers. But I think if there was any year, if there was any year, that a wide receiver was to win the MVP, it would have to be this year. Tyreek Hill is on pace to be the first wide receiver in NFL history to eclipse 2,000 yards in a season, in one season. When you look at the, when you look at Tua's numbers, with and without. Tyreek Hill, and you look at just the success of this Dolphins team with and without Tyreek Hill, it is stark. Tyreek Hill is undoubtedly right now the best wide receiver in football. And I agree, I think Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp said it. I agree that Tyreek Hill is the most important non-quarterback to a team. Now that doesn't that doesn't take away from how how important Christian McCaffrey is or or Derrick Henry or someone like a Justin Jefferson for the Vikings. But let's not get it twisted, man. Tua is is good. But he's not as good without Tyreek Hill. That the numbers obviously prove it. And we're talking about a player, like I just said, that is about if he's on if he continues the trajectory that he's on for the season, he is going to eclipse two thousand yards. Two thousand. You know how hard it is for a wide receiver to get two thousand? I'll tell you how hard it is. It's never happened. And a lot of people saw Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs win a Super Bowl last year and kind of minimize the importance of Tyreek Hill. 
the the conversation was Tyreek Hill obviously isn't that important because the Kansas City Chiefs just won a Super Bowl and they won a Super Bowl obviously without Tyreek Hill. And sometimes I look at it as sometimes I look at moves like this and moves like Tyreek Hill leaving the Kansas City Chiefs. I look at it like a you, you ever done that science project where you talk about how fast or compared to how slow sound moves with distance. So something can explode in something can explode. Let's say down the street from your house. Let's say, let's say three miles from your house, something explodes. Obviously people that people that are a mile away hears it faster than the people that are three miles away. While I think Kansas City Chiefs are going to be okay, and I think they're still good, but you're seeing now the ripple effects and the sound and the impact finally hit the Kansas City Chiefs with Tyreek Hill not being there. You know what it is? I was talking about wife, right? You ever had the a great significant other, right? You ever had a girlfriend or or a boyfriend or you know, whoever you whatever, you know what I'm saying. You ever had a like you ever had a great significant other that you may have messed up with or they may have messed up and ultimately broke up? And you think you're good, you know, like, damn, back in the streets. And for for the first couple months, you're probably all right. You're not really thinking about it. You're doing your thing. You're living life like it's golden. You, you're probably just. You're probably just doing your thing, not thinking about them at all. And then once it hits, it hits it's like, boom. especially if they were a good significant other, just boom. It's like, damn, I'm feeling it now. Now I miss them a little bit more. Now I might need, uh, I'm thinking about what they're doing a lot more. You don't really get that unless you lose something very good and integral in your life. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and, and don't get me wrong, Kansas City Chiefs, they have Patrick Mahomes. They have Tyreek Hill. I mean, no, they have Travis Kelsey. They have Andy Reid. They have Chris Jones. They that they they were doing it for the couple months, and it was a high couple months. You win the Super Bowl, but now when when it's time to okay, now we got to reinvent some things. Now you're missing that old thing. Now you're wished. Ah, damn, I'm seeing Tyreek Hill put up two K, about to put up two K, and I'm over here struggling with Kadarius Tony. I agree with first take and Shannon Sharp and uh, Stephen A. Smith I think Tyreek Hill is the most important player to a team outside of the quarterback position because it's very easy to say if Christian McCaffrey isn't on the 49ers that they're not a Super Bowl caliber team you can say that 
but you don't know. You can say if you take Travis Kelsey off the Kansas City Chiefs, they're in. They're not a Super Bowl caliber team. Yeah, that's very true. You can say if you take Justin Jefferson off the Vikings, they're obviously not as good. That's very true. But the drastic difference between how this Dolphins team looks with and without Tyreek Hill is clear cut and 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 obvious. And I didn't even talk about the game, man. <laughs> they beat the they beat the Carolina Panthers forty two to twenty one. The Carolina Panthers, at this rate, they're going to lose every game. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to win a game. Trust me, I, I'm sure they're going to win one. But they have been god awful. Then this is yet another stint where Frank Reich is not has isn't playing well. I mean, isn't 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 coaching well. And I understand, like I said, you. You played better against the Dolphins, but you still lost by 21 points. So, yeah, it's tough, man. It is tough. It's tough. Let's move forward. I don't really need to sit and talk about this uh, Seahawks-Bengals game as much. The Bengals won 17-13. What I will say is uh, it looks like it looks like he is back. It looks like Joe Burrow is back. And that changes the entire dynamic of the AFC at this point. Um, and not just that. Not just Joe Burrow being back. Because Joe Burrow being at 100%, there's still there's there's still a ceiling for this, for this uh, Denver, I mean, no, Cincinnati Bengals team, as we've seen, we got to the Super Bowl. It's just their defense and their offensive line couldn't hold up. Well, this is this is one of those rare years where their defense is their calling card. Their defense is their, which is crazy to think that how explosive their offense is. Their defense has been the best unit for this team. And if that continues, it doesn't matter how poor this offensive line is. This team is good enough to not only win the NFC North, but to make some noise and and ultimately win the Super Bowl. Because we have never seen it's always been Joe Burrow and the and the wide receiver cores, the, the specialty positions, and everyone else is just a question mark. Like their offensive line's been terrible. Their defense wasn't that good. Well, that is not the case anymore. They they have <laughs> Their pass rush is one of the best pass rushes in football. And that is scary when you have now uh you have now a team that that's getting Joe Burrow. Like Joe Burrow's getting back to 100%. That is that's a scary sight. Um along with now having a defense that can close games for you. So, shouts out to the Cincinnati Bengals for being the Seahawks 17 to 13. So I have to let me first say that the Baltimore Ravens beat the Tennessee Titans 24 to 16. Ryan Tannehill, I think that the Ryan that's another thing. Hold on. 
I, I just I felt myself getting getting excited. Give me a second. <laughs> That's another thing. I put out a clip about the Tennessee Titans before the season. And I said that the Tennessee Titans will not be good this season because of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill is not the, a, a, a starting quarterback at this point of his Let me say this. He is a starting quarterback. He's not a quarterback that can lead you to anywhere. He is a middle-of-the-road to below-average quarterback at best. And people killed me. The Tennessee Titans fan base killed me. Telling me I'm all types of this and that and how wrong I am and I shouldn't talk about sports. Well, as we look here today, what has what has Ryan Tannehill done for you? Hmm. Hmm. You have DeAndre Hopkins. What has he done for what has he done this year to justify him being a top tier quarterback, which y'all were telling me he was? Hmm. Look. I'm not saying I'm a guru. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that everything I say is correct. Obviously, everything that I say is my opinion. I'm not saying it's correct. And I'm also not saying that I could be wrong. And I think that if you watch me or listen to me enough to know, I will come on here and say that I'm wrong. But you, it's numbers. And, oh, God. And it goes back to the Justin Herbert thing. Numbers are tell much more of a story than well let me say this numbers don't tell as much of a story as watching the games and as you can see Ryan Tannehill has not been good now they are saying that Ryan Tannehill possibly or probably is going to miss some several games with an ankle injury so I hope for a speedy recovery and Malik Willis he is not really good at all but come on now like I understand you want to ride or die for your fan base I understand you want to ride and die for your team. Like, you don't understand how many Steelers fans come to me talking about how wrong I am. That I said Kenny Pickett and this offense was trash. Yet and still, the whole damn near the entire fan base wants to fire Matt Canada. Like, what are we talking about? Ryan Tenno has not been good. Damn. I just I just felt like I needed to get that off my chest, man. <laughs> it's just like, come on now. Again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but we're seeing this man be bad. I think about it. You saw such a drastic comparison between Lamar Jackson and Ryan Tannehill. And we're going to talk about Todd Munkin in a second, the offensive coordinator for the Ravens. And don't get me wrong, Lamar Jackson didn't have his best game, but he looked drastically better than Ryan Tannehill did. And the Tennessee Titans defense played well. That's the thing about it. Oh, man. I just feel like I had to get that off my chest because they've been... Boy, they've they've been they've been coming at me, man. They've been coming at me. Let me talk to Todd Munkin for a second. There's a reason why people are saying that this Ravens offense looks eerily similar to Greg Roman's offense a year ago. 
That's not good. You were Todd Munkin was brought in to kind of unlock that that or or break down that wall that Lamar Jackson this offense has hit. Because it feels like there is a wall. It feels like there is a ceiling that this that this team has hit. It kind of feels like the Golden State Warriors when they had Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson is a great coach. Mark Jackson obviously was the person that constructed and built the Golden State Warriors that we, you know, we remember as Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. That's when they had, you know, Fesses Azili and Mo Cheeks and stuff like that. Not Mo Cheeks, most Spates. That team obviously was really good. But it felt like year after year, they continued to hit a bump. They continued to hit a ceiling that when you look at the, 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 the potential of the players, that ceiling should have been much higher than it was. Losing to the Spurs in, what, the second round. Losing to the Clippers in the playoffs. Like, those, the team is that, that you construct, obviously the t- talent is better than a second round exit or first round exit, but it just seems like you can't get past that wall, that ceiling, until you get a Steve Kerr, what unlocks the offense. And then now you have, you look here, 2023, Golden State Warriors has four championships in, what, eight years, nine years. Todd Munkin was thought to be that person, that Steve Kerr for this team. Because Greg Roman got them there, but it just Todd Munkin was supposed to get them over the top. Well, as we sit here today, they don't look much different than that team because it just seems like, especially when we get to the red zone, it seems like they don't trust they don't trust Lamar Jackson's ability to pass the ball in the red zone. Like, don't get me wrong, man. We can talk about those uh, drops. Now, those drops against, I don't remember who. Oh, against the Steelers were crazy. But I don't know how many times. It just feels like the Ravens' offense is scripted once you get to the red zone. Pass, 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 pass. I mean, no, run, 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 run. Which I get it. That's kind of been the calling card for the Ravens. But like we've said before, there's a ceiling there. And it, you, know, you can only go so far, man. Lamar Jackson has been playing great. Trust, tr- like, un- unlock, unleash the offense on the, on the red zone, man. Because the Ravens, what's funny, man? The Ravens are one of the best teams in getting to the red zone. But they're one of the worst teams as far as scoring in the red zone because they're very predictable in the red zone they're gonna run the ball but hey they beat the titans so there's that hey man shout out to the washington commanders for (laughs) for uh handing desmond ritter his first uh home loss since like middle school 
Mm. The Commanders won 24 to 16. Sam Howell, his connection with uh, Tara McLaurin is getting better week after week. His connection with Curtis Samuels is getting better week after week. This is probably one of the first games where they couldn't really rely on the run game. Brian Robinson didn't look that good. Neither did Antonio Gibson. It was mostly Sam Howell and the defense. I'm going to look at it more because of who they played, but the defense finally woke up for, you know, even though that they ultimately won by eight points. Uh, they Desmond Ritter threw three interceptions. Desmond, I told, I said this. Desmond Ritter is not the the option that we're going to see very early. If Desmond Ritter is the future for this Atlanta Hawks team or Atlanta Falcons team, and he obviously is not. And <laughs> I know this sounds terrible to say, man, I'm, but I'm going to say it. This is like a bittersweet feeling, man. It's a bittersweet feeling watching uh, the Washington Commanders win because I know that it just prolongs Ron Rivera. And I'm not, I don't like calling for people's job, but kind of like we just talked about with Todd Munkin, man, it just feels like there is a wall that, Every every single team hits with Ron Rivera as their coach, and I feel like we've hit it. And Jack Del Rio as the defensive coordinator. We have statistically one of the worst defenses in football. When we have Deron Payne and Jonathan A- Jonathan Adlin, Allen and Chase Young, like what are we doing? But hey, shouts out to the Washington Commanders, three and three baby, HTTC. So, uh, the Vikings beat the Bears, and the conversation out of this is, uh, it looks like, um, Justin Fields has a broken hand, or a broken, broken hand or thumb or something like that. Both of these teams just need to, need to figure, need to blow it up, man. And when I say blow it up. I mean, complete, especially for the Bears, a complete just they need to strip it down to the bare bones, coaching staff, team players, just get rid of it all. Like start over because I know Washington, I, I know I know it, that win against Washington kind of allowed people to forget how bad this Bears team is. You know, the Vikings didn't have Justin Jefferson, who a lot of people, including myself, consider one of, if not the best wide receiver in football, and they lost. Yo, the Bears made this Vikings defense look good. You know how bad? Didn't they have a pick, a scoop and score for six? Like, you know how bad this defense is? And you lost. Like, yeah. Shouts out to the my. Um, Minnesota Vikings for beating the Bears. <sighs> Yo, I, I say this week after week, man. CJ Stroud is one of the best rookies we've seen, one of best rookie uh, quarterbacks we've seen in a while. It's even when he looks bad, it, he he has some of the. He has the best poise, I think, out of a rookie quarterback we've seen since 
I don't know, man. They the Titan or Texans beat the Saints twenty to thirteen, and a lot of it was because of C.J. Stroud, man. C.J. Stroud is a great quarter. He he outplayed Derek Carr. Yeah, and yeah, I will say that the Saints. Got a lot of issues, man, that they got to figure out. Because this team is much better than a 3-3. Three and three. Like, roster-wise, this team is much better than 3-3. Three and three. But the Houston Texans, nobody thought they would be 3-3. Three and three. And that, to me, they, they were projected, I think, to win, like, four games this year. And we're six weeks in, and they've already – they're already at 500. So, hey, man, shouts out to them. I Again, I know Puka Nakua because people were killing me about that. Puka Nakua has been great, um, but I do think that I think that C.J. Stroud has, is is running away with the rookie uh, offensive rookie there, especially with Cooper Cup coming or being back. So, shouts out to the Houston Texans for beating the Saint Orlando Orlando huh? New Orleans Saints twenty to thirteen. Also, we need to sit on this for a second. So the Jaguars beat the Colts 37 to 20. And there's also, I didn't really talk about it, but there's also a week in every NFL season where you see a abundance of injuries in one week. And this was the week. We saw Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. We saw Christian McCaffrey. We saw Debo Samuels. Um, we saw a bunch of players get hurt. And the report coming out of Indianapolis is saying, now Gardner Minshew played because Rich Anthony Richardson had a shoulder injury. And the report came out after the game that it's looking like Anthony Richardson's probably going to miss the rest of the season because he has to have shoulder surgery. And that is a devastating blow for the Indianapolis Colts. And honestly, that's a devastating blow for the progression of Anthony Richardson. The most important seasons, in my opinion, for a rookie is their first two. Because the first, the first one, you're wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. You don't know anything from anything. You're you're just learning how to be a professional. The second year, that's when you're really locked in. You know what you're good at. Or you may not know what you're good at, but you know what you, you can lean on. And that's what you're starting to do. Well, Anthony Richardson is pretty much missing the entire rest of the season. And for a quarterback that is a raw prospect and has flashes that looks like he can be a top-tier quarterback in this league to miss his pretty much the entire rookie year with injury for his shoulder as a quarterback is, is, is not good. And I know Trevor Lawrence had a knee injury, and I hope that he has a speedy recovery, but this ain't basketball. Basketball, we see multiple people miss pretty much their rookie season. They're fine. I mean, Blake Griffin missed his rookie season. He was fine. 
Zion Williamson, I think, pretty much missed his rookie season. He was fine. Anthony, football is different than basketball. And I hope for a speedy recovery, but this is a huge blow for the Indianapolis Colts. And you, and you want to know something, which is discouraging to say, but honestly true. You want to know how you know you're a backup. And you want to know how you can tell about a backup. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. And we were talking about the – we were talking about Ryan Tannehill. Not Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. We were talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we were talking about the, the cycle for Ryan Fitzpatrick and how that cycle fools people all the time. Ryan Fitzpatrick was always a bona fide backup quarterback. And you know how you know that? Because a backup quarterback isn't meant to keep the the ship afloat for the entire season. They're meant to keep the the ship afloat for maybe an entire game or maybe even two games. Maybe, Maybe three, but that's pretty much it. Gardner Minshew is a backup quarterback. Gardner Minshew is the main reason they lost the Indianapolis Colts lost this game. He threw like three interceptions and a and lost a fumble. Ryan Fitzpatrick would have three incredible games. Three games where he looks like a top-tier quarterback in the league. And those three games would get him paid. Then that fourth game comes and he looks awful. And people start saying, well, that, that's just an outlier because those first three games are great. Well, then the rest of the season comes and they're not even in the playoffs. That's what that is. A, that is people ask why Jacoby Brissett doesn't is still a backup quarterback because he is not good as a starter for the duration of a season. He might be good for a drive. He might be good for a game or two, but he's that's that's what that's why you're a backup. A backup is not meant to keep the ship afloat for the entire season. They're meant to keep the ship afloat for maybe a game or two. Gardner Minshew is a backup. And I say all that to say one of the biggest reasons why this is a devastating blow because nobody thought that Gardner Minshew was supposed to be the starting quarterback for the entire season. But then it also goes back to my issue that I have with Anthony Richardson. It's just like, yo, you have to protect yourself. This ain't college no more, bro. Now, it's easy for me saying this thing as though I've never been in the NFL, but I see with my own eyes the the physicality is much different for the NFL than it is for college. This ain't this ain't the the 2008 Florida Gators anymore. This ain't the 2001 Miami uh, Hurricanes. This ain't this ain't that. And those teams were littered with NFL players. You have a man, a man that is massive that runs as fast as you sole goal to take your head off your shoulders you have to protect yourself and now you're going to miss the entire season possibly I hope not but that's what it's looking like I hope Trevor Lawrence gets healthy thank God they have Travis Etienne had the best game of his career but it's unfortunate man but shouts out to the Jaguars for beating the Colts 37 to 20 Oh, boy. There's not much else I need to 
I don't. I feel like if I continue to trash and and not trash, if I continue to tell the truth about the Indian or New England Patriots, it just seems like I'm I'm bashing them at that point. Um, the Raiders beat the Patriots twenty-one to seventeen. The conversation coming out of this game now is uh, a lot of people in the organization or a lot of people close the organization for New England are thinking that this could be Bill Belichick's last year. And while defensively they've been okay, offensively they have not at all. They're, they're terrible. And Robert Kraft has given – Bill Belichick, the ultimate power to pretty much be the GM and the head coach. And especially talking about the draft. Well, the the New England Patriots are, are set to have a top three draft pick. Do you trust Bill Belichick, who drafted, <laughs> I'm not even going to say, who has a draft history like him? Do you really trust him to have the third overall pick? And, and, get the best out of that third overall pick. Let's let's not be You want to know the Bill Belichick effect now? Look at Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers, drafted by or undrafted, was signed to the Patriots. Developed him, he became a very very good wide receiver. They let him go. And paid him pretty much the same exact money that he received. They paid that money to Juju Smith-Schuster. And now Juju Smith-Schuster's out with a head injury. And Jacoby Myers is a very integral piece to the, or a very important piece to the Raiders. Mac Jones, it's like, he looks terrible. He doesn't have any wide receivers. I mean, everyone's talking about the Devontae Parker drop, which was a huge drop, but even still, the very next play, he gets sacked for a safety to end the game. Like, you ha- talk about awareness or lack thereof. <laughs> Rex Ryan said that the New England Patriots suck right now, and I agree with them. They're... I don't know one. I know that they play hard on defense, but I don't know one redeemable unit for this team. And they they lost to a Raiders team that did also didn't have their starting quarterback in, in Jimmy G because he was out or he left the game with a back injury. Jesus Christ. The New England Patriots, man, boy. Um... I will say shout out to the okay the Detroit Lions beat the Bucks twenty to six. I will say shout out to the Bucks for having the best, the the absolute best jerseys I've seen in a while. When those creamsicle jerseys, oh boy, those are one of the best jerseys I have seen in a while. Um, we don't, you know, that might be a segment one of these days. Like who has the best jerseys or rank the best jerseys in football? I will say that. Those creamsicle jerseys, those throwback jerseys were incredible, man. Um, yeah, bro. It, whew, Them jumps was nice. Uh, I'll put them up there with the Cincinnati Bengals, the all-white, black, white and black jerseys. Go go crazy, man. 
Um, I like, yeah. But that's the only thing that was good for the Buccaneers on Sunday because they got they they got handed they got their butts handed to them against the Detroit Lions. Yo, I can't keep denying it, man. And we as a fan base can't keep den- not a fan base because I'm not they're not my team, but us as football fans can't keep denying the Lions are is a is a Super Bowl caliber team. Imagine saying that. The Lions are all of five and one. And they deserve that five and one. They are there's not a unit that you can look at and think, yeah, that, that unit's trash, bro. No. We're looking at a Super Bowl caliber team. Now I'm not gonna ultimately say they're gonna win the Super Bowl, but I do think that we're looking at a Super Bowl caliber team. I know it's crazy to think about, but we can't keep denying it. And when I say we, I mean me and you. <laughs> you can't keep denying it, man. This team is good. And they can beat you in so many ways. Jared Goff can beat you. They can beat you with the run game with David Montgomery, even though he went out with an injury. I hope he gets well. But they also have Gibbs. They can be like Amos St. St. Brown. He's good. They got uh, Josh Reynolds. It. <laughs> They can beat you on the defense. Aiden Hutchinson's great. Like, this is a good team. Dan Campbell's a hell of a coach. This team will have something to say uh, in the playoffs. Plain and simple. They've been great. Shouts out to them. Shouts out to those Bucks jerseys, too. I, I can't. Those Bucks jerseys were great, but that's, that's all that was good. Baker Mayfield was horrible. That's that's the issue that we have with Baker Mayfield. Not, it's not. We know what Baker Mayfield looks like at his best. I mean, he beat the Steelers. They beat the Steelers um, in the playoffs that one year. But it's the inconsistency. One minute he'll look great. The other minute he'll look like he did on Sunday. He looked god awful. Like he was, boy, with a with a with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Yeah, they look bad. But shouts out to the Detroit Lions, man. Oh, and the last game I'm gonna talk about is the Rams beat the Cardinals twenty six to nine. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't really watch this game. I didn't really have much faith in this game. I know that Cooper Cup looks all of Cooper Cup didn't look like he missed some time at all, and that's crazy to me. Um, that's that's crazy good. Shouts out to him. And shouts out to the Rams for beating it. Uh beating the Cardinals twenty-six to nine. Uh the Cardinals, they do play hard, but you're really about to see the effect of James Conner. In fact, you saw it on Sunday. Uh I did see the highlights of it. It it, it they need James Conner. That's what I'm saying. So uh, let's go over to college for a second. And let's talk about the Washington Huskies beating the o- Oregon Ducks 36-33. <sighs> Michael Penix is uh Michael Penix Jr. Uh, uh, is the front runner for MVP or Heisman winner. Um especially with Caleb Williams throwing three interceptions and losing to Notre Dame. He, this game was tailor made for him to lose. They're down early. They it's 
they can Oregon cannot stop their wide receivers or they could not stop uh Rome Adunze couldn't stop him at all also couldn't stop Jalon uh Polk boy they uh, Adunze had 128 yards himself and Polk had 118 yards They could not stop these wide receiver cores at all. But Oregon, which kind of con- everything was confirmed for me, they are the most complete team in the Pac-12. Their defense came alive, and their defense that didn't show up pretty much at all in the first half showed up big time in the second half. They took the lead, and they... Dan Lane, I understand being aggressive, and that's what I was talking about when I was when we were talking about Dan Don uh, Brandon Staley and the and the Chargers. I understand the aggressiveness. I understand you're at the red. You you have the ball. You force a turnover right before the half. I understand going for it for fourth down, even though because you have not shown the ability to stop these wide receivers. Let's not get it twisted. Roma Dunze is probably the second best wide receiver in football behind Marvin Harrison Jr. You have not been able to show the ability to stop their wide receivers. So you want to go and you get the ball to start the second half. You want to go in there with as much points as possible. But my thing is you're at the one yard line. Or you're at like why, why are you throwing the ball with a with a run out? Like kick the ball. I know you're gonna still be down, but you're down one instead of four. Kick the ball to your four field goal. Ah, and they lost because they missed the field goal. So now I think that Washington is a top four team, and they're not. I think they're ranked like fifth right now. But and I think Oregon, I think Oregon's gonna be okay. But uh, Bo Nix had 337 yards. Damn, that hurt, man. That was a good game. That was probably that's one of those games where it lived up to the hype. You know, like you you see a game and it's just like ah, it's just probably gonna be a blowout or something. It lived up to the hype. Shouts out for Michael Penix. Uh, he probably. The Heisman front runner, and probably we just saw that again. We talk about Heisman moments. That probably was his Heisman moment. We talk about Shador. St- oh boy, Colorado lost to Stanford. You know, and, and I'm not gonna kill Colorado at all, but there, I get the the want to be um how do I say this I get the uh, the the confidence right but uh yeah let's 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 chill out on that because <laughs> you haven't really done much you know but hey this was a good that that was a good week in a college college football man uh like I said USC lost to um Notre Dame Pretty much, and a lot of it was because now no USC never really plays defense, but Caleb Williams was terrible. Like that's probably the worst game I think I've ever seen him play. So, but shouts out to college football, man.
Um, now we get to the unpopular topic of the day, and a lot of people liked when I talked about the Drake album, uh, and a lot of people liked when I talked about something other than sports. Now, again, I'm not going to do this every episode, and I'm not going to do that every episode, but if there is a topic that I want to talk about outside of sports, now it's not going to be gossipy. I'm not, I promise you, I'm not talking about the Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith thing. I, it's, I don't think that I need my opinion to be out in the ether. Like it, it doesn't matter what I think uh, at all. And I honestly, that that's, that's how it is with all, all things, but I just want to give my opinion about sports. Um, but this is going to be another topic, a non a non sports topic. Offset, one of the Migo, one of the three Migos, RIP to take off. Uh, Offset dropped an album, and I had I sat here and thought for a second because I listened to it and I liked the album. There's some there's some good there's some good songs on it. But I feel like after leaving this album and after listening to it maybe once or twice. Actually, that's a lie. I listened to it once all the way through and then after that I just went back to songs that I liked. We've heard. In fact, it's been more than here. You can see the state of rap. You know, the state of music, well, rap music is down. Like, think about it. The feeling that I had listening to this Offset album, at least after the fact, is the same feeling I've had multiple times listening to music. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I don't think I've had that. I've had that. Oh, it's cool feeling more times this year than I think I've had in previous years. Now, there has been I had to go back and remember and and think and look up just what albums dropped this year. There's been a lot of them like Magic 2 and 3 dropped this year. Remember that Glaucoma 2 dropped uh, from Cleagle. Oh. Key Glock, The Pink Tape dropped, Rocket Power, Quavo's album dropped, Sherm Life 4 dropped, completely forgot about that, Business is Business, Young Thug dropped, NBA Youngboy, I think he dropped twice, Almost Healed, Lil Durk dropped, now I did like, I still listen to that Don, Don Toller album, that don't go crazy, but what I'm saying is, I think we're starting to really feel as a consumer the oversaturation of music in the industry and the oversaturation and the over the 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 amount of drops just continue to to just and not just that drops with okay to mediocre music i'm never going to sit here and disrespect any artist um in their work you know I'm sure that a lot of people put a lot of time and and a lot of 
uh, they they put a lot into their albums, but there's just been such a there's been so I mean Mike kill kill my killer Mike drop and that came out in June and that's still probably one of the better rap albums in in this year. I just think that there's a there's a lot of issues with with rap right now and I think the biggest one is just the sheer amount that keeps dropping. I think that's one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest issues with that I have with the Drake album. I, again, for people that didn't really listen to what I said, I thought is a good album. But in the Drake discography it's it's one of his worst. And in the grand scheme of rap, and that's the that's the biggest thing. It didn't it didn't stand out to me. A Drake album did not stand out to me this year. I just and and I'm not. It just sucks that I don't know. I don't know if it's the 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 twenty four to twenty five track album song track albums um the fact of almost every friday there's five to six rap albums dropping like i just feel like there's an oversaturation of music being out there and a lot of it sounds the same and a lot of it is very forgettable i understand that the game that's being played and the marketing that's being played but a lot of it is unforgettable and I think that for people, people they talk about people's attention spans, right? And they say that, you know, today's consumer, the attention span is lower than ever. But I don't know if that's true in a sense of if the music is good, they're going to keep coming back to it. Now, again, music is very subjective. But I still go back to the Mr. Morale album. And if you don't want to go to the big, you know. Like, I still listen to Travis Scott album. I just talked about I still listen to Don Tolliver's album. In fact, let me check. Let me go to my phone. Let me see the albums that I still listen to on a daily basis. I still listen to For All the Dogs. I I still listen to the Rory album, which is R&B, but we talk about rap. I still listen to Tyler, the Creator. I still listen to West Side Boogie. I still listen to J.I.D. You know, Joey Badass dropped an album last year. Like, I still listen to that. So when they say that, oh, it's, you know, the consumer and stuff, like, no, they're going to listen to what they want to listen to. I just think that people are tired of hearing the same type of rap album and and leaving a rap album feeling the same. Like, oh, there was a couple good songs, but at the end of the day, it was just, uh, you know? And that's how I felt about this Offset album. It was good. It had some highs, but it had a lot of, it felt like it had a lot of filler. That's my opinion. I'm not trying to trash it. It was good. It was solid. But it just wasn't. It's not an album that I feel I need to go back to. And I've felt that way more times than I haven't this year. And I think that you can see the correlation between the rap sales that are apparently down and just what people want to hear. So we'll see. 
and there you have it. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodies, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Yo, we're about to hit 1.1K on YouTube, man. That's that's huge, bro. Seeing as though September 11th is when I hit a thousand subscribers, and a little over a month, I I'm about to be 1.1. So I appreciate everybody. I hope that you continue to subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend. This I can't keep doing this without you guys, and you know it means a lot. So I appreciate y'all. Also, uh, follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post there daily. And yeah, man, uh, we can communicate for people. Everyone telling me how trash my takes are. You'll get a response. <laughs> just just keep it respectful. Uh, but again, I appreciate you guys. And until next time, much love.